Hagar could have been anybody. She didn't need to be named. She didn't need to really be anybody. Just a young woman that became the surrogate. But Hagar has a story. Hagar has an incredible story. So she had to be. Nothing is in the Bible that does not need to be in the Bible. So Hagar's story is important, and I think we need to understand it. Abraham is called by God and told to leave his ancestral land and go to the land God will show him. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord has said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your family's family, father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So God promised Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, later they're called Abraham and Sarah, that they would be a great nation. God affirmed his promise again in Genesis 15:5, where he said, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so your offspring shall be. That's a lot of offspring. I can't count the stars. I don't know if any of you can, but I've tried. It's impossible. So two times God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have descendants, a multitude of descendants, and that they would be blessed the way people blessed his family. But God's promise also had other parts to it. The promise of multiple descendants, fame, and that through his descendants, Abraham would be a blessing to all people. It's not like God did not affirm his promise several times over. But Sarah didn't trust in God's timing or his ability to fulfill the promise. If you think about it, we can sort of understand Sarah's doubt. Abraham's 85. Sarah is 76. I don't know if I'd be trusting God to say that I'm going to have a baby. So she took it upon herself to fulfill God's promise because she didn't trust. That's where Hagar comes in. Hagar was a foreigner. She was an Egyptian slave girl. She was in the tribe of Abraham. She belonged to Sarah, who was a Hebrew princess. Hagar basically had no identity, no standing in the tribe, and was considered property. In fact, Sarah and Abraham never even called Hagar by name. They referred to her as a slave girl. When Sarah doubted that God's promises would come true, she took it upon herself to fulfill the promise. In Genesis 16.2, Sarai said to Abram, Sorry. (laughs) The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Sarai gave her slave, Hagar, to her husband, Abram, as a surrogate wife to fulfill God's promise that they would have children. Now, we don't do this now, but back in that time, having a surrogate wife or a second wife was not unheard of. They would often... If they couldn't have children or bear children, they would often give their slaves to their 
husbands to be the next wife or the second wife so that they could have children. So it's not unheard of. But can you imagine how Hagar must have felt? She had no rights, no authority to plead her case. Here's this young girl being told to sleep with an 85-year-old man. I'm sure this was not the first thought in her mind. But she had no way to decline or express any opposition to the latest demand, her latest order. She could only do what she was told to do. After all, she was just a slave. She was nothing. She had no promise. She had no standing. She had no grounds to stop. She was actually considered less than human, less than the livestock. Livestock were treated better than Hagar. She's just a means to an end for Sarah. I don't know if we've ever felt that way. I know that I've felt that way, that I'm just a means to an end. Many years ago, I, much like Hagar, was living in an abusive home life where I wasn't counted for anything. I had no say. I had no standing. Now, I married the guy, not Tom, just so you know. But I, I married the, this guy because I really thought I loved him, thought he was a great guy. But after we'd been married for a couple years, it turned into I had nothing. He had the bank account. He had control of everything. He had control of the cars. I could only go where he took me. I couldn't do anything. I wasn't allowed to be Debbie. I was only allowed to be his wife. And at his beck and call, at his commands, I felt much like Hagar, that I had no say in anything. I had no rights. I had no choice. And I had no self-esteem because he had battered that down emotionally. And I'm sure that's how Hagar felt. I lived in fear of being beaten if dinner was not on the table precisely at 5 o'clock. And if it was at the t- on the table and he wasn't home, didn't matter. It better be hot when he got home or I'd get beaten again. He was always remorseful the next day or that evening, but the oppression never stopped. When I got pregnant one time, now I'd been pregnant several times and I had several miscarriages. This was the start of them. I got pregnant and he pinned me between the tree and his truck and just kept pushing on the accelerator till I cracked ribs and lost the baby. I had no rights. I had no say. I had nothing. So I understand how Hagar felt. My neighbors happened to be there and watched the whole thing. When he pulled the truck off of me, I collapsed. They called the ambulance. They helped me get out of the situation. Hagar didn't have that. She didn't have anybody that could watch this go on and rescue her. I had people to help rescue me. Sorry. I was in a no-win situation, kind of like Hagar. So I kind of understand how she felt. I was oppressed, emotionally battered. I was terrified to leave, but I was terrified to stay. My neighbors started taking me under their wing, helped me find the strength to leave, reminded me who I was in Christ. They hid me in their basement for quite a few months to save me, to protect me, 
They became the hands and feet of Jesus to me. They kept me alive because they knew that God had a plan. God put them in my life to keep me alive because God had a bigger plan. I didn't go back. I didn't have to. But it was all at the hand of God. He used my neighbors to get me out of the situation. But it was the hand of God that reached out and did that. They'd sneak me to church. (laughs) They loved me the way God loves me, the way God loves each one of us. God saw me where I was in the wilderness, and he saved me from my circumstances. He sent his angels in human form to help me see who he sees. I'm sure we all have all felt like we've had no choice in matters. Maybe not to the degree that Hagar has, but we've all been working in the secular world. We've all had circumstances that we felt we had no choice in. It's a really cruddy feeling. I'm sure Hagar must have felt, do I do as I'm told? Do I disobey and risk exile or worse, beatings? or even death. She really had no choice, so she followed through. She slept with Abraham, and she was being treated like a nobody, a piece of property, nothing more than just a baby maker and a surrogate. Hagar was only meant to be a surrogate mother for Sarah, who would then take her child as her own. Sarah was just, Hagar was just the surrogate. Sarah, Sarah was, had every intentions of taking this child, raising it as her own, just having Hagar be the wet nurse. She didn't have a choice. So Hagar slept with Abraham, as she was told, and she did indeed become pregnant. And this is where Sarah, Sarah starts to have insecurities and stresses over the entire situation. Hagar was a little cocky. She was a little snarky about it. So it kind of pushed Sarah. And Sarah, 76 years old, she's older now, insecure. She's stressing over the whole situation. Here's this beautiful young girl having her husband's baby. I don't know how I'd feel. I think I'd be a little insecure, too. Sarah starts treating Hagar with contempt. Sarah is so oppressive and so cruel to Hagar that Hagar runs away. In Genesis 16, 5 and 6, then Sarai says to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant in your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so you deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Now, beloved, remember, Hagar is alone, she's scared, she's young, and she's desperate to just get away from the whole situation. She's been oppressed, she's pregnant, all alone. And she's got to think, where am I going to go? I have nothing. I have no one. I'm pregnant and I'm alone. A journey back to Egypt would take her 200 miles of desert. Again, pregnant and alone. 
but she runs away. She runs away into the desert. We find her at the last spring of water in the desert. She's feeling utterly hopeless, in total despair, probably terrified that what's going to become of her and her unborn child. But then the angel of the Lord comes and finds her. Genesis 16:7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai replied. From my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress, submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to your son. Sorry, I cut out often. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Notice here how the angel of the Lord found Hagar by the well. He knew exactly where she was. She was never lost to him. A largely forgotten Old Testament Hagar character, Hagar is one of the few who have ever really directly spoken to the Lord. So Hagar does as she was directed. She prepares herself to go back to Sarah and Abram, Abraham. But before doing so, she names God. The first and only time someone names God in the Bible. That's important. It's the first and only time someone else named God. He didn't tell her who he was. She told him. She gave this name to God. You are El Roy, the God who sees me. El is the name God and Roy means to see. In doing so, Hagar is saying, I was here all alone in the wilderness, and you saw me. Beloved, we are never lost to God. We may run away. We can flee. We can try to hide from our circumstances, and we can try to hide from God. But he always knows where we are. He always knows who we are, and he always knows what our circumstances are. He is the God who sees So Hagar goes back to Sarah. She continues to get mistreated, but she gives birth to a son named Ishmael, which means God hears. Excuse me. Sarah takes the child as her own and raises him as such. But there is a friction and tension between Hagar and Sarah. Hagar nurses the child, but it is still not her child. It's Sarah's child now. Hagar is just the wet nurse. She has no rights to him. He's being raised as Sarah's son. And so it goes for the next 13 years. Genesis 21, 1 through 3 says, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Sarah, surprisingly, 
becomes pregnant and gives birth at 90 years of age to a son that she named Isaac. For Ishmael, that meant Sarah is no longer interested in him. Sarah has no use for Hagar anymore because Hagar was only a means to an end. Ishmael is no longer the favored son. They now have Isaac. So what's she to do? Sarah gets angry one day at Ishmael for laughing at Isaac. Genesis 21, 10 through 13 says, So she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was still his son. But God told Abraham, Do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael off with a flask and a loaf of bread. Can you imagine? All he gets, all she gets, is a flask and a loaf of bread for a 200-mile journey. They have. I keep fritzing this thing out. So, <laughs> sorry. Hagar runs out of food and water. She sets Ishmael down by the... What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hands and I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She filled the skin with water, gave the boy a drink, and from that time on, God was with the boy, and he grew up in the wilderness. Genesis twenty-one fifteen through 20 says, When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under the bush, one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. As she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. I repeated that for a reason. Because Hagar could only see what was here. She saw that she was out of water. She was desperate. She couldn't watch her son die, so she put him over there in the bush. She was desperate. He was crying. She was crying out. But God saw. He is God, the God who sees, the God who hears. He didn't leave her stranded. He didn't leave her alone. She felt alone. And she certainly felt like she was going out into the wilderness alone. But she did not go alone. God protected her. 
God protects every one of us. There are times we don't have a clue, but we're making decisions, we're looking at things. Sometimes we're looking at school grades, and sometimes we're looking at classes and going, I can't do this. But God has his hands on you. God protects you from yourself, from yourself. God is always there. He is the God who sees. He is the God who hears. He is the God who loves you. Beloved, Hagar is a great reminder that we are not lost. God can and does find us anywhere in circumstances of our own making, like I was in, or even in the wilderness. God knows our circumstances. He knows our trials. He hears our cries. He provides angels to watch over us. My angels were my neighbors. They watched everything, and they came and helped rescue me, snuck me to church, snuck me out of the house so that I could not be alone, and so I wasn't trapped in a basement. They were my angels in human form. There are times when you just feel lost, but believe me, God tells us, he hears us, he sees us, and he loves us. So when you question if you're alone, remember that you're not. We are never alone. There is always hope in the future. Even in the darkest of circumstances when we can see no light, no way out, and we feel totally desperate, we must, we must, we must Remember that God hears us. That's not optional for us. As followers of Christ, we must remember God hears us. Even when we feel alone, even when we feel scared, even when we feel desperate. We have people in our church right now going through some horrible, horrible times. Look at Deb in the hospital but she knows she's not alone. She knows that God hears her. And he sends his angels, Kristen and Jane, to remind her, to comfort her. We've come alongside people and been their angels. You as a church, we as a church, we as a people, are often the human angels for somebody else. You may not recognize it sometimes, but we are. When others turn away and shy away from those who don't fit the perfect perception of what they should be, we come alongside and remind them that we all have value, that we all have purpose. We all have a name. It's easy to walk away. It's easy sometimes to turn your back and just keep walking. But we are a church that doesn't do that. We're a church that picks somebody up when they've fallen, gives them a hand, and loves them, and reminds them that God loves them and that they have value. 
that's remarkable. You are all being angels for the kingdom. Thank you for being a church that speaks love and hope to those who are walking in the wilderness. Thank you for being a church that love is in ways that matter. That's exactly why God has placed us here in this community. Knowing that we have a chance to be angels among the, the hurting should give you great comfort knowing that God entrusted that to us. That's a huge responsibility. And God doesn't just pick the guy down the street for it, the one that's not in his word, the one that's not in a relationship. He picks the ones that are in a relationship with him that can be the hands and feet and angels to a community that's lost. God knew exactly what this community needed. They needed to be heard. They needed to be cared about. And they needed to be loved. That's why he placed us here. Because we as a church do that. We serve a God who hears us and sees us and loves us right where we are. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you that you see us, that you hear us, and that you love us right where we are. We thank you that you can use us to be angels in this community. We just ask that you continue to love this community. Show us what we need to do to love this community and lift them up so that they can have a relationship with you. We thank you for giving us the, the what seemingly minor parts of a Bible to remind us that even in the small things and even in the big things, you are still there and that your word holds true. We thank you, Father, for just loving us the way you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.